Today's date is Sunday, October 10th, 2021. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 26, A Certain American Businessman, up to and including page 28, paragraph one, here was the terrible dilemma. Uh, Benny C. will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Diane B. from New York. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Good morning. Betty C. here. A certain American businessman had ability, good sense, and high character. For years, he had floundered from one sanitarium to another. He had consulted the best-known American psychiatrist. Then he'd gone to Europe, placing himself in the care of a celebrated physician, the psychiatrist, Dr. Young, who prescribed for him. <clears throat> Though experience had made him skeptical, he finished his treatment with unusual confidence. His physical and mental condition were unusually good. Above all, he believed he had acquired such a profound knowledge of the inner workings of his mind and its hidden springs that, rel that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time. More baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with, with respect to other problems, Yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society and would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. This was a great physician's opinion. But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may, may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where the state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a claim. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, Alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begins to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. 
With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Upon learning this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself, which he had the extraordinary experience, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Betty. And now um, it's my pleasure to introduce Diane B. from New York, who will share her experience, strength, and hope with us this morning. Hi, Diane. Good morning, everyone. I'm Diane B., gratefully recovered compulsive eater in New Rochelle, New York. Thank you for the opportunity to do service. Um, <clears throat> I pray that higher power will use me to share in a way that is useful to other people um, and that God's love and spirit will come through me today. So this is a great section, I have to say. This is a great section, and thank you again for the opportunity to, to do service. A little bit of a background for me. Um, I've been a compulsive eater for as long as I can remember. Uh, my sister says that I ate a stick of butter when I was four years old from the refrigerator. I don't remember that, but that's what she says. Um, I do remember that when I was five, I was at a birthday party. I asked for a second piece of cake. I was denied, you know, only one per person. I went home and I made myself a ketchup sandwich. And as we all know, ketchup is mostly sugar and white bread <laughs> breaks down like sugar. So, um, and I had always been uh, battling my weight. My family would always shame me about my weight. My mother put me on Weight Watchers when I was four. Um, I didn't go to meetings, but she weighed and measured my meal. She was going to meetings. So this has been a long journey for me. Um, in 1985, give or take, I remember I tried to put myself in a, in a um, treatment center. And I had just started hearing about treatment centers for bulimia and anorexia. Um, and they wouldn't take me because they said that I wasn't severe enough because I was binging, but I wasn't purging. So I asked for names of therapists. I went to this one therapist and I remember saying to her that there is something wrong with my relationship with food. I can go on a diet, I can lose weight, but I can't keep it off. Um, and she had said that I was called non-compensatory bulimic because I didn't purge. Today we call it binge eating disorder. Um, and that's been majority of my life. So she put me on a um, liquid diet. I lost a bunch of weight. And then she said I had to go to OA for group support. And so in 1986, I joined these rooms. And I did have group support. I made some great friends. Um, but I didn't take it seriously because I was still comparing myself to other people um, that, you know, well, I don't binge. I mean, I don't purge and I'm not anorexic and I don't need to lose weight, like whatever, you know, I was very young and um, it, I mean, I went and a lot sunk in for me, but it, I wasn't really ready to really um, surrender to this program. 
So um, I had gone to many doctors. I had taken diet pills. I had um, joined many different diet clubs. I had gym memberships that I never used. Like I would go like the first two weeks and then that would be it for me. Cause you know, for me, exercise, like the E word, that's like a four letter word for me. Um, still is, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but the reality is that I had no control over food, just like we just read here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He wished above all things to regain self-control. I couldn't do it. I had no control. Once I started eating, I had no control. A year after I, I joined OA, um, a friend of mine and I started a Smokers Anonymous program. This was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was living there. Um, and I quit smoking cigarettes, using 12 steps and using meditation. Um, and then I had to quit going to those meetings because people were still using and I could smell it. And it, I just, it would trigger me. So I had to leave, but I, you know, I did quit smoking in 1987. And so I'm going to fast forward. I didn't believe in a higher power, did not believe in God. People just said, just act as if. So I did, I acted as if, and then all of a sudden I started noticing um, things happening in my life that there was no other, no reasonable explanation for. Um, one of my favorite expressions is there are no coincidences, only God working anonymously. And I still believe that, but I'm still always looking for the evidence. I just keep an open mind. I act as if, and I just look and I see evidence all around me all the time, which is really a nice, really a nice thing. And a whole different view from what I, how I used to think. Um, so I, um, I didn't really know about the disease. I just knew that I, I really, like I read the big book. That's all we had in 1986. We, you know, I didn't really understand. Like I, I kind of like, I was like, okay, okay. I, I get it, but I didn't really get it. I got it intellectually. I did not get it in my heart. I did not get it in my soul. Um, and so I moved up to New York in 1991, um, got married, had three kids. Um, and I'm going to guess that, that it was around 2002, I quit going to the meetings because I was constantly in relapse, um, in and out, in and out. I'm not even sure I really had recovery that when I think back on it, but I, I don't know, I can't say, um, in 2003, my husband was diagnosed with fourth stage cancer. We had in 2002, he had a stroke. So we had three young kids. Uh, we did not think that he was going to see our youngest child start kindergarten um, because the prognosis was so poor. It turned out that he was really a trooper. He was really remarkable and he responded very well to his chemo treatments and he lived for four years with cancer. Um, but my life was miserable. I had three young children. I was taking care of my sick husband. One of my sons is on the autism spectrum. So he was worth six kids. I mean, it was just a lot going on. And I tell people, you know, this is not the life that I asked, I would have asked for. It's the life that I have. And thankfully, I had started to believe in this higher power thing, this God thing, whatever. Um, and my belief system strengthened because all of a sudden I had to ask other people for help and I had to accept that help. Even things like just taking my recycling to the grocery store, just small things, but I needed the help. I couldn't do it all. Um, and so that really solidified my, my belief in my higher power. Um, so anyway, like I said, I had left the rooms. I did more diets. Um, and then I came back 
in the beginning of February of 2005, I was weighing 330 pounds the last time I had been weighed, which was November, the previous November. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and um, I was just devastated. And a friend of mine had asked me if I had ever, CC, if I had ever asked, I mean, if I had ever heard of OA. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, Paul and I met there. Um, and so she said, oh, well, you know, I'm going and I need a sponsor. So everybody's been telling me to go to this particular meeting. It was the Mount Kisco Monday night meeting. Will you go with me? So I agreed. And I was horrified to go. I was so scared because I was afraid that I would see people that I knew, but they would not recognize me because of my weight, or they would be horrified at what I looked like because I was horrified with what I looked like. And I was so depressed and I, all I could do was eat, sleep and cry. Um, it was terrible, but also all I kept thinking was who's gonna take care of these kids when he dies, when my husband dies. So I came back, I went into the rooms, the first person I met, the first sponsor I had, I said to her at that time, I understand in, in AA and NA, you just put down the substance and you can live, you can survive. I don't know how to not eat and survive. So she was the first person who talked to me about trigger foods. And on February 5th of 2005, I gave up sugar and wheat and I haven't had any since, which is a miracle in itself. So, but let's get back to this, you know, this chapter. It's like, but what did I do to keep that, to maintain that? And also I have to say, I was still going in and out of relapse over the years. Um, so, um, but I had to, I had, it says that, Provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. He asks, is there no exception? I'm a teacher and I, I always teach there are exceptions to every rule. Um, and here we have the way to be the, here we learn how to be the exception to the rule. Here we learn how to be the exception of the, um, the alcoholic or the compulsive eater who is utterly hopeless. All we have to do is that we need the spiritual help. Well, I didn't think I need, I mean, when I first came in, like I said, I didn't believe in that. Um, but I started to believe more and more as time went on. And as my experience showed me, you know, I had to have that vital spirit, spiritual experience. This whole paragraph, the fourth paragraph on page 27, that's the beginning of step two for us. Um, or for me, that's the beginning of step two. And that's where I started having my entire psychic change which is also talked about in the, in the doctor's opinion. Um, but I had to do all these different things, emotional displacements, rearrangements, uh, things that had to be suddenly cast to one side. I had to have to have a new set of conceptions and motives. I, you know, all these things I had to do an emotional rearrangement. The only way I could do that was with the help of my sponsor and with my higher power. Um, and like I said, this is like the beginning of step two. Then it says he was... Um, you know, they're talking about Roland Hazard in this, if you know any history, and I don't know very much history, it's just whatever I hear from other people speaking. It says that his religious convictions were very good. Well, somebody in the rooms had told me, go back to the religion of your childhood. That's what he kept telling me. So I did. And I went and I studied with the Orthodox Jewish community in Atlanta. And at one point I decided I needed to put my food on a spiritual plane and I became kosher. Um, I grew up in a home where we were, you know, pretty much secular, but we, I did have some religious training and we did some, we did the holidays in the house. So I put my food on this spiritual plane by becoming kosher and I kept kosher for many years, 
but that wasn't doing it. I was still going in and out of relapse, you know, um, it wasn't really helping. And then about three or four years ago, I went into relapse again and I had started listening to vision for you meetings in 2014. Um, I've been to two of the conventions, met some wonderful people, lots of recovery in those conventions, way more recovery in those conventions than in my region conventions, um, which I guess that's really good, but in a way it's really sad that the people in my area just haven't really um, latched onto this yet. Um, but um, so yeah, so this, so that didn't help. So then, in, so I was still going in and out of relapse and about, I'm gonna guess it was like three years ago, I went into relapse again when my father-in-law passed away. My father-in-law lived with us. My husband passed away in 2006. Um, and my father-in-law continued to live with us and he lived to be 99 and one week old. He was an amazing man, but I went into relapse and I still miss him because he was really vital in our family. Um, so anyway, I went into relapse. And then two years ago, in fact, two years ago, this past week, October 5th, I said, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I can't, my weight cannot keep going up and down. My life can't go in and out of relapse and recovery. You know, it's like I tell people, if you're going to look at my recovery and my weight loss, you know, it's, if you put it on a graph, it's not a ski slope. It doesn't go gradually down. It's more like an EKG up and down, up and down, up and down my whole life. And so two years ago, I said, this is crazy. I can't keep doing this. Um, I've been in the rooms more years than I've been out of the rooms. I'm, you know, more than half my life. And I called someone up that I had heard speaking on the phone meetings um, and she had done some special editions. Um, so I knew, she, I thought she had really good recovery. So with her aid, she explained to me what entire abstinence is, which is in the, in the doctor's opinion. And she had me listen to a podcast uh, from the Vision For You uh, website on entire abstinence. And I finally, understood after all these years, I guess I just wasn't ready or I didn't want to hear it. I finally understood about the physical part of this program, the physical part of this disease. And so by eliminating not just like gluten and sugar, but also eliminating the other ingredients that in combination create that phenomenon of craving, that by doing that, I wasn't getting that craving and that made it easier for me to work the program and work the steps. So I did that in six weeks, which was remarkable. So actually in about a month, I will have two years of recovery um, to do this. So, you know, I had to change who I am. I had to have that vital spiritual experience. And it doesn't come necessarily in the middle of the ninth step when we get those promises. There are promises in every step in this book. For me, it started um, with this step, with step two. And it just kept getting stronger and stronger. And then when, I, when we finished reading the chapter, working with others, and my sponsor said, okay, now you have to sponsor. That's when I really started to have the spiritual experience. Like I really started to feel that presence within me. Um, excuse me, I wasn't timing myself. So if you could give me like a five minute warning. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah. So the spiritual experience, all of a sudden I'm having this really amazing life. And I, this was in, so this is November, 2019. The pandemic started 2020. I'm a teacher. Everything shut down. I live in New Rochelle, the first hotspot. It's like everything around here shut down. So I wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to, wasn't able to go to meetings. Um, I learned how to use Zoom. <laughs> I never heard of Zoom before. And I remember feeling so completely grateful that I was recovered because this was the perfect storm for me. I didn't have to get dressed. I could wear sweatpants or pajamas all day. I wasn't going to the grocery stores. I was having everything delivered. No, I was living alone. Nobody was around me. Nobody could see what I was doing. And I, so I could have very easily gone right back into relapse or stayed in relapse because it was just like the combination of all these things was like perfect for my disease. However, it also, because of Zoom and thank God for our phones today, and we don't have to pay a lot of money for long distance, I was able to sponsor a lot of people. I was able to go on meetings. Um, I was able to do a lot of writing. Um, I had learned about the I don't know. Can I say, talk about the two-way prayer? I don't know if it's OA approved. All right. I'll just leave it out. Anyway, I learned about this prayer practice in a, in a retreat that I had been in a couple of years, probably in 2019. And I started doing that on a regular basis. I started really working the steps more and more. And I was really doing okay. But I was, I mean, I didn't like being alone all the time. I wasn't seeing people. I would see my mother every two weeks because I would do her grocery shopping but I would only see her outside. Um, it was a very tough time, but I remember feeling so grateful. And I still am very, very grateful um, that I learned, finally learned about really working this program. I mean, I read the book. I read the big book a million times. I've read the OA literature. I read the 12 and 12s. Um, I've worked the OA workbook, like, but nothing really stuck for me until I got to this. And um, this step two has been remarkable for me because this was the foot in the door for my higher, for me to really find my higher power. Um, recently, I was meditating last spring and the vision came to me of being floating in the ocean where you can't see the land. You're just all water. Diane, that's five minutes left. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. But having, but having the support of the water, that was like my support from my higher power, support from whatever this thing is that I call God, um, that no matter what happens, my higher power is going to support me. And then I had another meditation shortly after that one, that my higher power was like a number line. So if you start at zero, you go to negative infinity. You go to negative, I mean, yeah, negative infinity and positive infinity. There's no beginning. There's no end. And that's another vision that I had for my higher power. Now, both of those came like within, I don't know, a couple of weeks of each other. And it was mind blowing. I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I never had meditations like that prior. Um, but those are just those are I'm a human. You know, those are ways in which I can relate to whatever this thing is that I can't see, can't feel, can't touch, can't smell, you know, can't taste. Like 
I, it doesn't, it's beyond my physical senses, but it's there. It's really there. And now I kind of feel like it's like the wind. When people ask me, um, like, so what is it? Like I compare it to the wind. I can't see the air, can't see the air moving, but I can see the evidence of it. Like right now I'm looking out and I see that the trees are moving, you know, the leaves are moving because the wind just picked up for this moment, which is kind of remarkable. And now it's still again. Anyway, but like, you know, and I could smell things wafting, you know, the aromas wafting in the air, right? All these things are in the air. I can see, um, I don't know, whatever. But all those things are evidence of the wind, just like the things that I see in my life are evidence of my higher power. And um, so, you know, like I said earlier, this is not the life I would have asked for, but it's the life I have. And today I love my life. Um, a year ago, I was in the middle of COVID. I was alone. I was anxious. Um, I remember calling people up and asking, so when does the joyous part of this happy, joyous and free thing start? Like, when do I get that? And they said, just keep coming back. Just keep doing the work. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep going on meetings. You know, I listen to the phone meeting almost every day. Um, I usually work on Sunday mornings because I teach religious school. Um, so this is a great opportunity because I'm home because it's a holiday weekend. And so I will listen to the Sunday special editions as a recording. Um, but I do get on those meetings because there's so much recovery. And I remember in 2014, when I started, there were maybe 500 people on the line. I don't know. And then the other day I heard Leah say there are 10,000 people on the line. It's, or at least signed up on the website. That's remarkable. I have no other meeting in my life that does that, that has that kind of growth and that much recovery. Um, so, you know, I hope that I've said something that had some meaning to somebody. Um, and again, I just really um, appreciate the opportunity to do service. The timing was like, it just worked out perfectly. That wasn't my timing. That was definitely higher power. And um, so thank you for allowing me to do service and I'll pass. <laughs>